I'm Richard Dodd, and you're listening to the Ecology Academy podcast. This is a show where we get to talk and learn about all things ecological, including interviews with top ecologists, both employers and employees, those working with ecologists, and also aspiring and inspiring career-seeking individuals setting out to make a difference. The show aims to provide you with insights, advice, and inspiration to help you succeed and excel as an effective ecologist and to make a real difference to our natural environment. Hi there, and welcome to the Ecology Academy podcast. I'm Richard Dodd. With us today is a range of experts who have their, um, their own personal licenses for a range of different species, both animals and plants, and I'll let them introduce themselves. So first of all, Ash. Thanks for having me. So Ash Harris, I'm based in South Wales. I work for a small consultancy, Ecological Services Limited. So I've got natural resources Wales licenses for great crested newts, bats and dormouse. I don't hold anything for the other side of the border. Um, Never dealt with natural England and I'm happy to keep it that way. (laughs) Um, I've been a consultant for more years than I care to remember at the moment. I think I've actually held a job for about 13, 14 years, but I had zero hours contracts through uni and college as well. So it's probably a little bit higher, but we'll stick with 13, 14. That makes me feel better. Fantastic. Thank you, Ash. And Tilly. Hi, I'm Tilly Tilbrook. I'm a director at IES Consulting, which is a company I set up in 2009. I've been an ecologist for about 20 years now, and I hold my Natural England licenses for dormice and great crested newts. Uh, but I've also worked as a local authority ecologist and for Natural England and for various large consultancies. Thank you very much. And Grace. Hi, I'm Grace. I'm Head of Ecology at Environment Systems in Aberystwyth. Um, I've been an ecologist for about nine years now and I hold NRW licences for bats and GCN, Great Christian Newts. And I also hold a Natural England GCN licence, but given that Aberystwyth is quite far from England, I don't get to use it very much. Great, thank you very much. And over to Claire. Hi there, um, I'm Claire Munn. So I'm Associate Director and Principal Ecologist with David Archer Associates in South East England. Been an ecologist for about 14 years and have Natural England licences for great crested newts, dormice, bats and white-clawed crayfish. Um, and I also, as a volunteer, train people towards their dormouse licences for the Kent Mammal Group and we'll be launching tomorrow a new scheme whereby I'll actually be running a, a finishing school for people that need their second references for the Kent Mammal Group as well. Great, thanks very much Claire. Next we have Emma. Hi, my name's Emma Scottney and I'm the ecologist for Southwest Lakes Trust. Uh, we manage most of the reservoirs in the Southwest um, on behalf of the Water Company for Conservation, Access and Recreation. I've been an ecologist for about four years and hold natural England licences for great crested newts and dormice. Thank you very much. And to Sue. Hi, I'm Sue Searle. I'm principal ecologist and senior tutor at Ecology Training UK. I've been a consultant ecologist for 20 years. I hold a dormouse and bat licences with Natural England and Natural Resources Wales. And I've just applied for my Scottish bat licence as well. I also get involved with training people for their dormouse uh, bat and great crested newt licences as well. Thank you very much. Uh, to Josh. Hi, I'm uh, Josh Courtley. I'm a, a, an ecologist with Arbtech Consulting. Um, and I also run my own non-profit um, Learn Ecology, which is focused on 
and engaging like students in university, students as well in the work of ecologists in the UK. I hold Natural England licenses for GCN and BATS, and I'm also accredited for Dormice as well. Excellent. Thank you, Josh. And over to Sarah. Hi there. I'm Sarah Parkin. I'm Principal Ecologist at SAP Ecology and Environmental. Um, We're based in Dumfries and Galloway and straddle the borders of uh, Northern England. From a professional point of view, I've worked in the environment for approximately 19 years and have been an ecologist for 13 years. Uh, I hold Natural England licenses for bats, great crested newts and barn owls and Nature Scott licenses for bats, great crested newts and schedule one. Thank you very much. And finally to Joshua. Hello, um, I'm Josh. I am the botanical specialist for Atkins, uh, and I also run a conservation program with Chester Zoo. Uh, in terms of my licenses, uh, so I have my class one English bat license, but also hold licenses for some very special plants. Uh, so field wormwood and also floating water plantain. Great. Well, thank you all. That's a great introduction. Uh, so we get to know you a little bit better and also highlight which species we shall be discussing today. So the reason why we all together is to discuss about the personal survey license. So which we all hold different levels of, of licensing there. It can be quite complicated for those who may be wanting to get a license. So whether that be in England, Wales, Scotland. We haven't got, unfortunately, don't have anyone from Northern Ireland on the panel today. So um, I should put some notes in in the, the comments section on this podcast itself. But we'll discuss the, 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 the three nations. So what my first question to the panel is about how you first obtained your licenses. So whether that be your door bat, your door mouse, uh, or your great crested newt server license. We'll come on to the other ones a bit later on, but the sort of top three, should I say, your bat, door mouse, and great crested newt licenses. So let's look from a Welsh perspective. So if I may invite um, Ash and Grace to have a conversation about that. So Ash. Now this question really made me think because my memory is shocking <laughs> and it seems I've had licenses for a little while. I I think I started off, so I, I always count myself quite lucky in my career that I've worked for local planning authorities, variety of consultancies in size, and I also work for the Countryside Council for Wales as a species officer. So I'm pretty sure I think my first license was my dormouse license and I got that license um, by signing up to the Gwent Wildlife Trust Dormouse training program they had at the time. I think they've disbanded that now because of declining numbers on their reserves. So I used my annual leave and toil time from working at CCW and went out once a month, managed to handle loads of different animals, uh, well, Dormouse, obviously, and then got my license that way. And then I was also quite lucky working at ccw we were doing um bat household call outs so i would go out see a variety of homeowners bats in different um settings and i also managed to get out with all of my local bat groups and go out with them and see bats in those situations and i do bat care as well so I had a whole variety of experiences with bats and was lucky enough to get um, a colleague as a reference and then somebody from the bat group as my second reference for my bat licenses. And then Great Crested Newts really made me think. <laughs> I think I've held that license since about 2015 and I got that license through volunteering with lo my local amphibian and reptile group and also through experience in work 
out on the job when we've actually found great crested newts. Great, thank you. That's that's fantastic. So, in terms of, um, I'll, go, I'll go to Grace in a second. But in terms of your, you know, one of the reasons why you, know, you, you identify those those species and you've you've obtained those licenses, it, I suppose it's the mixture of experiences you've had then um, going f- going you know between you know, CCW now and Natural Resources Wales and different back groups. So, it's, it's, do you think it's, do you think that helps a lot in terms of having a different groups and organisations and people to actually um, get the experience from? I think I was very lucky when I first started out in my career and I can't remember who, somebody gave me the advice to volunteer. Volunteer as much as you can with as wide a variety of people as you can. And I went out with local authority ecologists for work experience and I also went out with some small consultancies as well at the time. And they told me about licenses and what you should look for. And I just, yeah. Variety is the spice of life. Managed to have a good couple of groups that were active at the time, and I was just incredibly lucky to be welcomed by all the voluntary groups and everyone that I've ever met through my career. It's been fab. Great. Thank you, Ash. And uh, Grace, what about yourself? I mean, in terms of um, obtaining your first species license. So, my first species license was GCN, which I got in 2017. Um, that was actually after a total of three years uh, in the field doing GCN work. Um, but I'd not previously applied for it, even though I did feel ready just because I, I didn't have the, the mentorship available at the time. And it was, it just meant that when I did apply for my GCN license, I had this huge, great wealth of experience on my application, um, form and my log, which was great. And it just, it really solidified uh, a good reason why I am eligible for this license. But going off of what Ash was saying, I think that the, the variety is the spice of life. And particularly with my bat license, when I finally got my bat license after I think I wrote it down, it was a total of almost six years in the field. Um, I had worked for four consultancies and one of those was headed up by two trainers, licensed trainers. Um, and these two people were invaluable to my experience um, because they got me doing things that I just never would have done without them. And if someone isn't as lucky to have that sort of experience, you will get that through volunteering. Um, so I was doing lots of handling, back box checking, volunteer roost visit, regular dust dawn surveys, activity surveys, transect surveys, everything. Uh, I think we did a bit of harp trapping as well. So it just, the more experience you can show on your application when you apply for the license, the better it's going to be for you. And as well as it's going to look better, but it's also going to be better because you will actually deserve that. You will know what you're doing. Great, thank you. Now, uh, okay, that's from uh, a Welsh perspective. Let's look at it from uh, so those who hold licenses in England. Um, so to see if there's any different in terms of the approaches, um, but also how about your, your sort of learning experiences and how you retain your first license. So in, uh, I'd like to go to Tilly in the first instance. So I got both, my, I was looking back at this and I got both my licenses in 2013, but by very different routes. So the Dormouse license, I did the Mammal Society courses uh, on conservation because I happened to be in the Southwest very close to a number of Dormouse monitoring projects. And with one of those, I went out every month for an entire season to a known site doing box checks and that let me handle dormice at all the life stages so one of the people from that voluntary scheme signed off a reference and then the other one came from my uh, dormouse courses with the mammal society and that i did that within one season um so it was under 12 months to get that license 
so it was probably the the more straightforward one from that point of view the newts i was going back through my application forms that i've got saved i've done nine years of surveys before i applied for my gcn license and i'd probably done those in an accredited agent i think although i don't i didn't write that down there was some in-house training and that just came from two licenses um two sorry two references from people that i'd worked with in 2013 over that survey season but i had that nine years of of other survey experience to back it up so that was a much longer route to a license but realistically it was because i didn't actually need a license before mm -hmm. then i i was just sent out as an accredited agent for the companies i worked for and nobody really suggested that there was any reason to change that no i think this is it i think um we hold as in the license itself as the ultimate aim you know um but really we, we can work upon spreading species um under as an, as an accredited agent maybe under the named ecologist um so i think it's uh, you know we, we we sort of i say put that as the the top thing to actually aim for but um we say many many of us have probably obtained our licenses from doing those years of experience as an accredited agent so claire how about yourself in terms of um, your species licenses that you obtained um could you tell us a little bit about that yeah so um i don't think apart from bats i didn't really set out to obtain a license as such they just sort of happened as a result of experience and most of that was through voluntary work i actually obtained my great crested newt license in start of the season of 2008 before i even got into ecology and um, so that was obtained entirely through voluntary work with my university so i was lucky to be at the university of kent where professor richard griffiths works and we had the longest standing mark recapture survey for great crested newts in the country at, at our site basically where we were studying so we went out between sort of february and july every thursday night and friday morning doing mark recapture of great crested newts um and then I was lucky enough to be nominated by that professor for an internship as an ecologist with a local firm. And they asked if I could get a great crested newt license to help them as they were short of that. So I was able to get my references at that point because I had a purpose for it. Whereas with dormice, again, that was entirely voluntary. Really, I was doing nest tube surveys at work. Doesn't really give you enough training to be able to get your dormouse license. So I joined up with the Kent Mammal Group training scheme where I went and did some courses that are very similar to the ones I think that the Mammal Society and PTS run um, on dormouse ecology and handling. And then after that, I got assigned to a field trainer who went out with me every month. And I was again very lucky. I got one of the best sites in Kent for dormice. So I was handling a lot. And much like Tilly, I then at the end of my first season got my license through that, that formal training scheme. Bats, on the other hand, took me seven years. And I think the reason for that is, despite all my voluntary work, the group I was part of don't do license references, and particularly not for consultants. So I always struggled to get that second um, non-work reference. Um, in the end, I got around that by persuading one of them eventually to give me a reference for a level one. And I don't know if it's changed, but at that point, you needed two references for a level one. And once you had it to upgrade it to a level two, you only needed one reference. So for me, that was easier to get through work. And my crayfish license was entirely because of a project. So I did a research master's um, on the conservation genetics of white-clawed crayfish in southeast England for the Environment Agency. And the license need was really generated by that. So it wasn't as extensive, that training. We don't have many white-clawed crayfish left down here. So that was probably the quickest, but probably the one I felt less prepared to use at the end of it as a result. 
Great. Thank you. Thank you, Claire. And I'm just going to bring a couple of other people in and then we'll move on to uh, sort of the, the other species licenses, uh, really. So uh, go to Sarah regarding uh, sort of your licenses up in Scotland. Um, so how does it differ? Does it does it differ in terms of obtaining the licenses in terms of your experience? Um, it does differ. I mean, they're, they're very, very different agencies. They operate in a very different way. And uh, it's, it's actually um, lovely to work in Scotland. Um, I'm afraid to say <laughs> um, it, it is wonderful. It's a very different circumstance. You know, I can I can speak to the members of the licensing team in Scotland without any issues. They they know who I am, um, um, which obviously that means there's a, there's a little bit more of a relationship between the co- uh, consultants that work up here as opposed to in England. Um, so that in itself has extreme benefits when it comes to licenses. Now with my BATS and GCN license. Um, they were very much tied into, I obtained them very much due to, um, I was already licensed in England. So that was a, a benefit automatically. So they already had the fact that I held a license in England. And so therefore that was one of my referees. And um, the work that I'd been doing up here as a consultant, uh, in, in essence, spoke for itself. Um, again, the licensing team are aware of me. They knew the company that I operate with and they know the, the, the reports that we submit and they, haven't, they don't have any issues with those. So that um, I didn't need a second reference for my VAT license. Um, for that one, they were happy to grant it based on experience and, um, and obviously already holding one. In essence, it was the same with my GCN license. We don't really have too much cause to use the GCN license up here. However, um, we do have Scotland is very underrecorded when it comes to great crested newts. It's it's almost assumed that they're not going to be here because we have peaty soils, which is is not the is not the case at all. Um, we have all three species sharing pools uh, and breeding quite happily. Um, so regardless of what the surrounding geology is, um, the newts are here, but they're very much underrecorded. So actually having the GCN license is a, a, a big benefit to me when I'm heading out to do other forms of survey, because obviously should I come across great crested newts as we did um, yet last year, actually, we established, uh, discovered a new population um, just in Dumfries and Galloway here. It means that I'm already licensed and that's that's essentially me safe Great. from a licensing and legal point of view. My Schedule 1 license came via, like, actually, my bat work, which may sound slightly strange, but you will be surprised just how many barn owls you will find when you are doing bat surveys. Um, all these barns and buildings that we come up, go to. So really, it was it was a no-brainer from my point of view that I was going to um, progress to gain my uh, Schedule 1 licence up here and in respect my barn owl licence in England because from a professional point of view, I felt that I needed that in order to ensure that I was covered um, and that I was competent on site, obviously, when we find these species. The licensing for Schedule 1 required um, two referees. Uh, one of them I'd been working with for quite a while. And then uh, with being a small consultancy up here, we actually operate with different um, small consultants and work together as a team. So another Schedule 1 licensee refereed uh, me for that. But the whole process is a lot simpler. They, If they have questions, they contact you and ask, questions, ask you questions about what you've put on your license. Great, thank. You. Uh, so, oh, sorry, Sarah. Uh, yeah, I, I think there's. I think there seems to be a bit of discrepancy between 
each of the developed governments, uh, really, in terms of, um, I, suppose, I say the bureaucracy, but I suppose the administration, should we say, is probably a better word, a more fair, fairer word about uh, obtaining the licenses. In terms of, um, I'll go to Emma next, uh, in terms of Emma, um, of your experience of obtaining a license and also the guidance towards actually obtaining a license, did you find that there was, you know, you were quite informed of what you needed or was it um, in terms of you had to find out that information yourself? So I think you challenged us actually to think back to when we got our licenses and how we went about getting them. So I got my Great Crested Mood license first in 2018 and I spent the, the summer season quite intensively surveying for them with a small consultancy in the southwest and that was the the, the referees came from the people at work and the people who I had been out with and then I got my dormouse license in 2019 which took me about three years so a little bit longer and I did quite a lot of um had a lot of experience at work but also supplemented that with volunteering um uh, it's actually where I work now. So that was great. And now I use it all the time because we have dormice all over our sites. So it's, you know, quite imperative I have that one. In terms of guidance for getting these licenses, I found the SAIEM uh, tra- uh, technical notes, I think they're called. Um, they have a set of training standards that you can kind of grade yourself against. Um, they have skills and knowledge that you should have depending on what class license you want. And for bats, they have the Bat Conservation Trust um, training standard. I can't remember when that was last was released. It wasn't too long ago. But again, that has quite a lot of advice and where your knowledge and skills should be if you were to go for the licenses. And Natural England does have some information as well. So that was how I kind of, alongside my colleagues and people I was volunteering with who gave me a lot of guidance, I also refer to those documents quite a lot um, to make sure I was progressing in the right way and getting all the knowledge I needed before I went into that license. Okay, great. I'll, I'll come back to you in a second, Emma. I'm very conscious that Josh Stiles does need to go. Uh, there is, so, uh, so I'd love to bring him in now, actually, because uh, I'm, <laughs> we'll come back to other licenses. Now, now, now. Josh, you hold some special licenses. I say special. I mean, they're special. They're special to you. I'm sure they're special to all of us. But so, could you tell me a little bit about these these uh, special licenses and how you obtained them and the reasons why? Yeah, sure. Hello. Um, so I have a couple of licenses. My field wormwood and the the floating water plantain licenses. Uh, the reason. I pursued both of these, um, especially floating water plantain is um, around Greater Manchester where I'm sort of based or thereabouts. Uh, it, the, the canal systems around there hold really big populations of floating water plantain, um, an incredibly special, internationally important European protected species. So. Um, I applied for my license. It was quite a, an easy process, to be honest. Um, it was quite handy that I knew the sort of specialists at Natural England who were reviewing my application. Um, but how I got my license isn't just through the application, it's through years and years of looking at the 
most interesting group of organisms that we have, which are plants. Uh, fantastic group of organisms. <laughs> um, and I've got sort of over 15 years experience looking at plants and surveying plants through a variety of different methods. Uh, so for floating water plantain, it's an aquatic plant. Um, and so what I had to do in my license application is demonstrate that I've got experience surveying for aquatic plants. Um, and yeah, there aren't really many people with a floating water plantain license. So in terms of references, hmm. um, I... Oh, I think he's gone. I think he's gone. I don't think he's fallen into a into a hole or anything. But uh, yeah, I think he's, he's gone a little bit. We'll, we'll, we'll see, if, if, see if Joshua comes back um, slightly there. So, in t I mean, you mentioned also about years of experience. And I think, is that something that um, you've all found that, um, I mean, we, we're going about, you know, Tilly was mentioned about, uh, you know, nine years worth of um, uh, undertaking, um, well, service and experience, should we say, and that became, you know, because he was accredited agent and so forth. But um, tra uh, how... Oh yeah, are you back there, Joshua? Josh? Yeah. Oh, did you? Oh no, did you catch that? Oh, wait, no, unfortunately, <laughs> this is the this is the this, <laughs> this is the pitfalls of actually live recording. That um, you know, you sort of get drop off a few uh, a few times. So yeah, yeah, before you have to go, then so go back to yourself then. Um, so how, yeah, many, yeah, how yeah. many people then hold this um, special license for floating water plantain? Uh, not not many, not many in England. No, not many in England. No. Um, so it's quite a, quite a special little plant, um, and I think I'm probably one of one of about two people in England who has it at the moment. Um, but yeah, as I say, big populations around Greater Manchester, so it really helps me to have it in my work. Yeah. So in terms of, I suppose, say, gaining those licenses then, so in terms of the guidance out there, I mean, you say you've got years of experience uh, and also, you know, the knowledge behind that as well. So in terms of, from Natural England's point of view, what were they looking for? Was they looking for, what, so, how simple was the application? You still mentioned it was quite so simple. So it was, it was quite a simple application, really. Um, and it helped that the specialists at Natural England who were reviewing my application uh, knew me and I'd worked with a lot of them before. Um, so it was quite a simple process. But to get there, um, it, it, it took me a long time to build up all of that experience. And much like a lot of other people here, um, that experience was built up, a lot of it, from volunteer work. So, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah just different, different routes in terms of, um, let's say, gaining that experience then. Uh, okay. Uh, and, and, and very quickly, if you may, if you've got a couple of minutes, uh, on your... Uh, your um, field, field wormwood as well. So, um, oh, yeah, yeah. super. Um, so, my license for field wormwood isn't actually um, for consultancy um, necessarily. It was a license to pick field wormwood to bring the plant into, into conservation, uh, into ex situ conservation, where I was cultivating the plant. Um, and again, same story. It was it was a pretty simple application process, um, but to sort of demonstrate that horticultural botanical uh, knowledge, that's the sort of stuff that took me years and years to to build up. Um, but yeah, yeah, there you go. Great. 
Okay, then um, <laughs> I, I know you need to, to, to move along, so but I do well, you know, appreciate your yes, time. Um, so I wish you the best, uh, uh, and, and Josh, and thanks for coming on to the podcast for the second oh, time. Thanks very much. See you later, guys. Bye, bye, bye. Bye now. Okay, great. Well, for those of us remaining, I mean, I mean, bringing a couple of other people now in terms of um, getting that experience, getting the training. So we mentioned about volunteering, but there's also other avenues we can explore in terms of getting that, uh, you know, working towards that license. And we talked about that as about training, actually formal training. Um, I'd like to bring in Sue, uh, first of all, then in terms of I mean, your own experience of obtaining your licenses, but also about the role of training in obtaining those licenses. Okay, thank you. Um, so my doormas license, I did like I think it was Sarah did a, or somebody did a um, a mammal society dormouse course, and at the time you were allowed to use your certificate from the course as one of your signatories, and I I think that's such a shame that they don't do that anymore because uh, but they don't. Um, so you now have to have two signatories. So, so I actually didn't go out for a whole season for my dormouse license. I went out twice. Hmm. Um, and I went out with a, a person called Michael Woods, who was uh, like, he wrote the dormouse conservation handbook basically. And, um, so he signed me off for my dormouse license and his father ran the, so Doug Woods ran the course. So it was a, it was a Woods family exercise getting my dormouse license <clears throat> um things have changed now because we have um ptes have sort of spearheaded the training for dormice and um they now have a dormouse training log and you you can download that from the ptes website and it basically lists all the things that you need to do to get your dormouse license and it involves checking boxes and seeing the animals at different life stages and you have to get those all signed off and then you have to have two signatories at the end who can sign you off and uh, one of the things that you need to do for that training is to do a course so i run the dormouse ecology and surveying course um so does um the mammal society and pts so we're one of the providers at ecology training uk and you can come along and get half of your book signed off to say that you've attended a theory session um, but unfortunately, you can't have a tutor as your signatory, so I can't sign you off for that, but I can sign off your dormouse log if you attend our course. Um, with bats, I took three survey seasons to get my first bat license, and I went through the um, volunteer bat roost visitor route, which seemed like the easiest route at the time because I only needed one signatory from a trainer. So I went out a lot with the volunteer bat roost visitors and did a lot of internal surveys, but I also did um, emergence and activity surveys, but I, I wasn't really doing consultancy type surveys when I first started. It was more of the volunteer stuff. And I did a lot of um, surveys with um, Bat Conservation Trust as well, roost counts and things like that, the waterway surveys and all of those things. So I think it gave me a very broad experience of um, doing bat work. I've, a lot of people now that come to me for training, as we do a bat ecology and surveying course to start people off with, with their um, bat licenses, um, are, are just basically doing emergent surveys and activity surveys and are not getting enough internal surveys or hibernation checks or 
going out harp trapping or all of those things um <clears throat> so once i got my um volunteer back warden um license then the next year when i came to renew my license they said do you want to add anything on it because my my signature signatory said she would only sign me off for, for being a volunteer back warden in devon so then uh, the next year when i renewed my license i said i'd like to um, also do surveys and i'd like to do it in the whole of the southwest so i said devon cornwall somerset and dorset and they just said <laughs> okay and they added that to my to my license and then the next year when I renewed, I said I wanted to do it in the whole of England. And they said, OK, you can do that. So I don't know. I didn't get any extra signatories. I didn't have, you know, I didn't have to send my experience log or anything like that. It's just the way it was back then. Um, and then I had an opportunity to do some harp trapping for the Becksteins project. And I was working underneath um, Frank Greenaway, who's like one of the top bat ecologists in the country. And I was working under his license. And so I, when I came to renew my license, I sent off the thing saying that, that this person's been working under my license for the last year and I got my level four license. So he didn't, I didn't have to fill out a form or get it signed off. So I think it's a lot harder now, really, because you have to have your two signatories and you have all these training standards as well that you need to jump through the right hoops to get the right experience and so when i'm helping people get their level one bat licenses now it's about getting getting your foot in the door really getting that first license so that at least you can do surveys uh with a license and um <clears throat> so we have a range of courses that can help with that um if you check out Ecology Training UK, we also have a bat license training program now as well, where you can start from zero to hero, get right the way through. You do need to get your own experience as well. We do the training side of things and giving advice and encouragement, but you still need to get out and do a hundred hours experience and 10 internal surveys seems to be the standard that they're looking for. For level one license thank you thank you sue and, and, I, and just I, sorry go on. Yes. just uh, uh just uh i have somebody who's in scotland and she said can you sign me off for my license in scotland so i i had a very nice experience as you said sarah they're very nice to deal with aren't they i said oh can i sign off somebody for a scottish bat license and he said oh yeah that's fine as long as you've got either a welsh or an english one and um and so i said oh what uh, he said well why don't you apply for your own license and i went oh yeah all right then do i have to fill out a form he said oh no just give me your license number and i'll check that you're licensed with england and um we'll take it from there so really easy and the same with uh, the welsh one i just literally said i've got an english license can i have a welsh one and they said yes so um i think if you can get one under your belt that's your sort of starting point really um yeah okay great so yeah, thank you, Sue. Uh, and I know this. Uh, someone's been sitting very patiently, so I'll bring in Josh uh, now, Josh Courtley. Um, so, Josh, I mean, uh, in terms of your experience, I mean, um, relative, relatively new license um, y yourself there. But in terms of how did you find the process itself, um, say, uh, obtaining your your your, your bat license? Um, and also from maybe maybe you know colleagues coming into the profession as well you know how are they finding it in, in terms of getting the experience getting the training knowledge and so forth 
Um, so, so yeah, my my bat license I actually only got last year, despite the fact I've been working for a few years. But um, almost uh, sort of opposed to everyone else, my GCN and my bat work is almost entirely from professional consultancy work. Is is it basically where my experience came from? Um, I have done um, training courses and stuff as well to kind of reinforce it, um, particularly with door mice. Um, I, I've, I've done the, the camp mammal group courses um, and things like that in the past as I used to live down that way. Um, but yeah, I, I found it, um, it, it's quite difficult to get the two references you need working as, as, as a professional consultant, um, mainly because a lot of the previous restrictions in place um, basically stated that it, it couldn't be two references from the same company. Now they've actually I think they've actually switched that over very recently now and um, so that you can actually use two references from the same from the same company um, but at the time it, it was quite difficult to secure the the second one um given the fact that obviously being working as, as in a, in a consultancy kind of basis it's you're kind of locked into the schedule that the consultancy puts you on most of the time and so you don't really have many opportunities to go out and, and kind of volunteer your time or go on courses and things otherwise, and unless of course the, the company pays for that or, or includes that within their their kind of employment scheme. Um, so yeah, it, it was it was fairly um, tricky to get the 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 bat one. I, I kind of ended up actually eventually getting it because um, the guy that I'd done a lot of my training with um, at my old company um, ended up leaving the company um, sort of a few months before I did and um, so I managed to secure him as my reference because I'd done absolutely loads and loads of of internals surveys and assessments and um sort of general that survey work with him anyway and he already held a, a level two so um I managed to get him to do it as soon as he moved um and get my second one from within the company that I was working at because obviously I've been I've been carrying out roost assessments and stuff with them under as an accredited agent anyway so um so that's that's basically how i managed to get that one and the, the great crested newt one on the other hand i actually managed to get in in one season um which kind of seems very different from everyone else <laughs> everyone else seems to have struggled to get that but i managed to get it um because the company i used to work for worked all over the country so they were i was constantly my newt season was chaos basically because i was going here there and everywhere and, and going to tons and tons of different ponds with massive populations of newts and things. Um, so I managed to get that quite quickly and the company actually paid for us to go to a training course and um, to get our second, because at the time, as I said earlier, you couldn't get two references from the same company. So we, we managed to secure the second one um, from a training course that we all attended. So um, yeah, I was quite fortunate with that one. Um, the, the Dormouse stuff has been ongoing for Oh, I don't even know since I since I was at university now. So since probably about uh, maybe ten years ish or so, I've been trying to get the the second reference for that. So um, yeah, that's been a problem um, mainly because I've done I've done tons of courses and stuff, but with the amount I've been moving around and the fact I don't come across them too often in my line of work, um, it's it's quite tricky to to actually lock down. A, a second reference i even I'm a, I'm a committee member at warwickshire mammal group and everything but obviously we don't exactly have a bunch of dormice here we've got a couple of reintroduced populations in a few woods that we've worked on but 
the numbers aren't huge. Um, so yeah, just trying to pin down that second reference has been a pain. It's not that I can't do it because obviously I'm accredited, but it's just trying to evidence yeah. that to someone that can sign it off. Okay. Um, yeah, that's been that's been tricky. And um, I, I know uh, Sarah. So you want to jump in there at all about um, someone that, one of the, a comment there that Josh had made here? Yeah, really. It was just to second what Josh was saying in the sense that it is a it is or, or certainly was a real struggle for any ecologist needing to attain their licenses. Was the two referees within the same company? I mean, I mentioned how I attained my Scottish licenses, which were based upon really the English license that I had. And I would say I think the English ones are the harder ones to get because there's more red tape around them yeah. um, and and ex exponential amount of forms. Um, but I mean, I trained for seven years for my bat license, my bat survey license. And um, that was a combination of, I mean, that was, that was working abroad and having the opportunities there. That was uh, working in conservation in England. Um, and uh, that was obviously for consultancy. But as soon as I hit the consultancy point, there's no time on the agenda for voluntary work. There's, there's no time to work with another consultant who may referee you because you're working for the consultant you're with. They're not going to pimp you out to somebody else so you can get your, your second reference on a license. So it was really, for me, it was luck that I happened to be leading a team of I mean, this is how crazy it is. I was leading a survey team under someone else's license. I had 13 people out there um, doing uh, the works pre to H HS2. And um, one of them just happened to be a referee who was impressed with, with the work that I was doing and said, why haven't you got your own license? Mm -hmm. And at that point, I was like, I can't get a second referee. And he's like, Let's go out and do some ID. I'm going to referee you. And it really was the luck of the draw. Um, otherwise, getting that second license, licensee was not going to be an option from working within the company. Whereas the flip side of that would be the GCN licenses. I found that incredibly easy to get because at the time I, I did a frog life training course, which which took took you through through all of that, and you could use that as a referee. And then a season um, working intensively throughout the GCN season with my company, boom, there was my like my reference yeah. to that. So yeah. I think there's there's definitely a trap that you can get stuck into if the, if the licensing situation has changed now. And it's mm. two referees within the same companies allowed them brilliant, but yeah. Yeah, and uh, uh, Tilly, uh, so, sorry, to, sorry, Josh. Yeah, yeah Tilly, you, you wanted to uh, also. Uh, I think I've seen some of comments about um, maybe you, you've had a, an issue with your water vol license. Is that what you want to? Uh, yeah, well, it's more that that I think um, the way things have gone with Natural England. When I first started getting my licenses, uh, you it all went off to Natural England, and someone who was a species specialist looked at it. That that's not what happens anymore. So I've been going through getting my water vol class license for displacement. It doesn't go anywhere near a uh, species specialist anymore. It goes to someone whose job title is admin assistant, pretty much. And they are looking at a checklist tick box of what uh, they think you need to have done. And I am stuck in the ridiculous situation where the person who set up the class licensing system and wrote the, dorm, the uh, Waterwell handbook is one of my references. And I have a course certificate from uh, Derek Gow. And Natural England are saying to me, you have an evidence competency. Mm. 
but they're not assessing competency in that situation at all what they're assessing is have you ticked all the boxes on this list because no one who's a species specialist has even looked at it and i think that's a massive problem for people getting licenses these days compared to when i was first getting my licenses because the people assessing it are not specialists at all in in england at the moment as far as i can tell Right. And, and and people actually maybe looking towards obtaining a license themselves now with like additional licenses or those that say you're maybe some colleagues um, that you're working with. Is that a similar situation then? Do you find that uh, it, it is a question of, you know, uh, the, the, you know, someone needs to demonstrate exactly what natural England are looking for? I know it's a bit different in Wales and Scotland, clearly different. Um, but as far as an English perspective, then, is it... Um, other people uh, struggle to, to to fill these boxes in too so i'll go to um so look um I, yeah if anyone wants to jump in there but um perhaps um yeah claire yeah so we've um just taken on um a couple of graduate ecologists and an assistant ecologist who've been looking into this now and, and how things are different for them to to what they were like for us um so what we've recommended is that um we We've given them a training log, which we've managed to get from the likes of, I think actually it's Natural Resource Wales that have got a training log for bats that you can use as, as an example. So from day one, we got them set up with training logs. So every last bit of work they do that's relevant to a license is going to be logged. And we're prioritizing giving them the experience that specifically needs to be ticked on these boxes, you know, that Tilly's mentioning. So we had bat hibernation surveys in January and February, and they were quite far away from them, but we got them over here. We put them up in hotels to get that, because you know, it's something that's really difficult to get the experience in. And we've also looked at training courses as well. So it's trying to tick as many boxes, like Tilly has suggested, is what's necessary. So it's, it does take a bit longer, but um, if your employer is willing, and, and helpful, then you can look at all three different avenues within work, which is training courses that formalized in-house experience, keeping a training log. And if you have got time to do voluntary work on the outside, that's really going to help potentially as well, just to, even if it doesn't result in a reference, it gives you a broader spectrum of experience, which personally I have found very useful with my licenses. I think if I hadn't done that, I'd feel less confident in using them in my yeah, work. Yeah. Great, thank you, Claire. Uh, I mean, uh, I'm just going to go to I'll go to Ash first, and then to Josh, and then back to Sarah, if I may. So, Ash, uh, you wanted to jump in there? I, yeah, I just wanted to echo what most people are saying. Really, um, first point: I really do think employers should be giving staff the time off to do the right training, or at least time off in lieu, um, sending them on training courses. Maybe it's different across the border but everyone I've ever worked with if as long as I make a case to do training I'm given the time to go and do it not always a budget I funded quite a bit of it myself but to me they need to make the time and I I work full-time as a consultant and I still volunteered as well but ecology has changed so much over the last 10 years or so since I did all my training so pressure to get out is just a lot more I think now um yeah I think I think that was the only point then. Yeah, no, no, no I think it's a very extremely valid point. You know that um, you know you, you know you, you do need to support from your employers, uh, but equally so taking go back on back on board on Tilly's um, point there that um, it is a question that um, you know we are dealing with a fairly bureaucratic system, which um, if you don't unfortunately 
you're not able to, you know, if you don't tick the boxes straight away, you may not get your license, even if you've got that seven, you know, five, even just one year, one year's experience, two years experience, you've got all the competencies in the world. doesn't matter if it doesn't pass the first filter. So Josh. I wonder, I don't know if it's just Wales, but I wonder as well if it's hitting those right buzzwords on your application form. Again, in Wales, we've got species officers who review pretty much all the applications. I've never had a problem, but then I'm quite good at a bit of spiel, <laughs> using those right words and making sure I'm targeting what they want. It'd be good to have some sort of formal training or, or more obvious training for people to get licenses and filling in application forms and surveys. I, I really think the whole survey licensing system needs overhaul and needs much more support. Yeah, and that's been mentioned uh, a couple of times, actually. Yeah, thank you for that. So, Josh, do you want to jump in? Yeah, so I mean, it was it was kind of going off of what Claire said previously, um, and and to kind of note that obviously new colleagues that are coming in now, we try and support to to help progress them towards um, licenses because although they're not entirely necessary when you when you work within a larger consultancy, um, obviously everyone's working as a accredited, accredited agent in in most instances, but. Uh, I think that for new ecologists, it's quite they get quite a sense of achievement, like th their progression is is really um, something that's important um, when you're first starting out in a career such as ecology. So I think the licenses are something that people still strive for, even if they don't necessarily need them. It's a nice thing to kind of say, oh, look how good I am, look how far I've come. I've got this this license now. So it shows that I'm obviously acknowledged as being um, kind of experienced enough to hold this, which is a which is a great feeling when you're a new ecologist. Um, but the, the, one of the things that I noticed fairly recently um, is obviously for the 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 PTES and Dormouse logbook um, is really useful at kind of identifying the various skills that someone should have in order to be able to attain that. But um, those kinds of things don't necessarily exist. For, for a lot of the other species. So internally at Arbtech now, we've started um, trying to develop stuff for um, our sort of graduate um, consultant level ecologists and things to, to help them work towards licenses that they're interested in, um, developing a kind of spreadsheet tracker that, um, that the license member of the team can kind of buddy up with them and, and kind of sign things off as they go. And um, so we can kind of trust our other um, senior level colleagues and, and licensed people to kind of say, yes, I've, I've seen that um, this person is perfectly capable of doing that and maybe apply some evidence and stuff. And, and the graduates also can assign, um, use it as a kind of logbook of, of survey experience as well. Um, and we've kind of developing those across the board for, for all of the, the kind of relevant species, um, which is which is quite important because it also means that they can the, the people trying to obtain the licenses can kind of keep a track of of how far along the process they are, um, which is quite nice. Um, and and again, um, Arbtech is really good actually with with all the training stuff. And and Rob Oates, the the big boss man, is is brilliant at kind of encouraging people to to pursue the training that they need or that they want. Um, and will always cover people. Whereas obviously a lot of other companies, in in my experience, have I've kind of got a training budget or a set number of days that you can use whereas obviously this kind of thing benefits the company at the end of the day and, and rob understands that so he's very much keen to to help people pursue their interests um and also work towards these licenses because at the end of the day as i said it it, it benefits the company first and foremost really 
if they've got more people with licenses it means they can cover things more comfortably um so yeah that's that's something i think is really important and i think more consultants are, are becoming aware of the importance of that now as well yeah i know agree and i think it's uh, going back to that point about the sort of uh, you know your in-house training and you know keeping records i think you know we we, I mean, we're working to work something similar, not just for licenses, but I think it's actually competencies for actually individual ecologists as well. Mm-hmm. So in progression. So how can we demonstrate, a, 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 I'm going off a slight tangent here, but a, how can we demonstrate to, um, how can an ecologist demonstrate to us as an employer, uh, to their loan manager, if they've reached a certain standard or and competency? Yeah. You know, it's 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 the, it's it's both the ecologist and also the company's reputation at stake. But also, it's, it gives them the power to go. Do you know what? I'm going to work towards this. I can see clearly where I need to work towards. And these guidelines do really do help in yeah. terms of the species licenses, but also maybe for other areas. Um, it may be like you know, like preliminary ecological appraisal, sort of um, mm. how competent are you on there? Um, th- thank you, Josh. Uh, I want to bring in Sarah now if I may. Hello. Um, so, so really I think it was to mirror some of what Josh was just saying in that it's incredibly important to have that training but to have that goal but I think as well you've got to you have to understand what a license is and a license doesn't make you a better ecologist. Um, you know it, a license is a piece of paper that allows you to do something which is otherwise illegal that is it. That is all the licenses. So when it comes to people that I'm I, I, that work for me and that I'm training, um, I don't push them to go for licenses. I, I'm actually dead against that. I don't push them to go for any licenses that my company might need. I push them to go for licenses that they are passionate about and that they, they are interested in and they want to learn more about and become a specialist in. Because that's what it's about. Is as soon as you have that license, it allows you to do things that are otherwise illegal. Therefore, you have to be competent in what you are doing. And and I think that's the key thing to understand. And and I know in some of the larger companies, it does get a little bit lost. Um, I remember when there was a huge push in a company I used to work for, they wanted all of their juniors schedule, uh, not schedule, sorry, um, class one license for bats so they could send them out to do preliminaries. These people didn't know what a good building was when it came, what bat suitability was. You know, you need to be able to actually do a full roost assessment. So just having that piece of paper doesn't mean that you're, any good at your job, if that makes sense. Hmm. Um, and also something that Tilly mentioned earlier, um, I think it's important for new um, new ecologists to realise it's not just them that struggle with licensing and, hmm. and attaining more licences. I have held my English bat licence since 2014. I have had my Scottish bat licence since 2016. I'm the lead bat surveyor within our company. I hold a Scottish um, low impact uh, blimp licence, a bat low impact class licence. I have I applied for my English version of that over two years ago now. After two years of waiting, they came back and told me I don't have enough experience. Mm. So, right. Well, that, that, that raises a lot of questions. <laughs> um, so, I, I, I mean, if you could, I mean, just spend a little bit of time on that, Sarah. Actually, in terms of what, what sort of, what sort of, are they pushing back on? Is it anything specific? Are they giving you? Um, is, is it? Do you think it's a holding email they're giving to you, or is it something more general, as in in terms of the the administration behind signing up these licenses or getting them out, is actually flawed? It's. Do you know, it's a combination. One, it's an issue between the difference between Scotland and England, in that England you tend to have a licensed ecologist based on an EPS. 
um, and in Scotland you don't. You you put the EPS within the, uh, it's usually the developer or the homeowner and they hold the EPS license. The ecologist isn't named on that license. So although I have written and managed multiple licenses, my name is not on there. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to England looking at that, they're going, but you haven't been a licensed ecologist, a named ecologist on all of these licenses. But I am. I am the ecologist they have used for the license, but it's not printed on the license documentation. It's only within the application form. And mm -hmm. um, so there's a big flaw between the two countries there. And also within my English work, it doesn't identify the destruction of myotis roosts. That's because we've managed to avoid the destruction of myotis roosts, which I believe is me doing my job correctly by avoiding roost destruction. And we've mitigated what we had to under an EPS license. So it's it's different. It's different kind of scenarios. But again, yeah. you can't speak to anybody okay. in natural England. Yeah. Um, so the way we're working that is uh, I work with another consultant in um, in England. And I'm now an agent on her low impact license because she's, she's inundated uh, and she's desperate for people to get licensed so they can help her out. So in this case, she's put me as an agent, which will hopefully start. Um, ticking a few of those boxes for Natural England. Great, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for that. And uh, I'd say we, we um, I think we're going to hold some questions in terms of um, mitigation licenses. So these, the formerly known as, I mean, I don't like the word, you know, so, some people call them development licenses, but the mitigation licenses, we, no, I mean, that will will come. We're certainly going to hold an, a, a separate section, um, a se uh, session on that. Now, Emma, uh, you're waiting patiently um, with your hand raised there. So, um, w was there a point you wanted to to make a bit earlier on? Yeah, it was just rewinding a, a little bit back to the the references and kind of the tip boxing that might might feel like we have to go through in Natural England. Um, but this and the. Uh, People's Trust for Endangered Species logbook for dormice. Um, I've seen people use those logbooks and they're really nice. They do set out what you need to do, but I find they don't allow you um, much description of what you've actually done that day or the methods you've used. Um, and so, you know, some really detailed um, records, you know, weights and uh, sexes and age class and all of that detail. So. What I tend to advise people to do, and what I, I did myself, is I keep um, a record of all the stuff we did with a big long section, a statement of how we did it, um, when we did it, who was there. And that also helps when it comes to the referees writing your reference, because they actually get to write a text piece as well and tick boxes. So they can really evidence how many animals you've seen, for example, or how many people you have worked with. And it just gives that little bit more depth. Um, so it's not just tick boxing. You can kind of, you know, write down how how experienced you are and how you've gained that. Mm. So it's just a little bit that, that I try and work on is making sure you record absolutely everything. Uh, so when you back, look back on it years, years later, you have a really good idea of what you've done. And the person that you've got to know, your referee, um, they might not necessarily remember it either. So it's really good to have all that detail in one place, which really helps with the person at Natural England reviewing it, yeah. if they do ask for your log, because all of that detail is there. Great, thank you. Yeah, I think I think uh, you know the administration part of it. You know your your own personal administration. I think that's going to be crucial. And as I say, 
there is that Welsh logbook um, that's out there to keep records of there, but for other species, it may be lacking. Now, uh, I know a couple of other people have raised their hands now, and I know, uh, Sue, um, you raised it earlier on. Um, so, um, yeah, can I have your, your thoughts on the, the, the sort of the survey licensing? I was just um, thinking about what Sarah said, and it's quite right. It's, it's a license to, um, you know, to do something unlawful. The thing I was going to say was when you have your two signatories, it's whether they're convinced that you are going to make a good bat worker or dormouse worker. And you might have filled out all your dormouse log and all of that sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, when I assess people for their licenses, I will ask them at, at least an hour's worth of questions. Like, I, I need to know they know everything about that species. I need to have worked with them as well so i actually you know will spend some time with each person making sure that they're conducting their survey correctly and all of this sort of thing and um for level two because i don't have any live bats if i have someone come along to me that wants to do level two which involves handling bats and use of recording endosome, stopped then um i i don't want to um I, I can't assess them on live bats, so I will um, assess them on endoscopes, and then their other signatory would have to say that they're competent for handling bats. Mm -hmm. Okay, <coughs> great, thanks. And uh, bring in Tilly. So we just wanted, um, I think it was something that Emma was saying about logging everything. So we've been interviewing people this week for entry-level position, and one of the things I've asked them to do is bring along to the interview their CPD log of what they've done to date some of them are straight out of university some of them aren't um but it's been really interesting because some people have got a brilliant really detailed log they've just printed it off bought it along and gone here this is it and that's really i think something that people need to get into the habit of doing however they choose to log that i log mine in a notebook because i'm old and um, because the ciem used to have a really good cpd logging tool and then they got rid of it and replaced it with one that is entirely unusable mm -hmm. um so i log mine on paper but however you choose to log it i think it's really critical to keep hold of that because you know, if I'm looking back now to stuff that I did in 2004, well, that was a heck of a long time ago. And it's still evidence of what I could have done, but I don't remember any of it really yeah. in terms of where I was and what service I was doing. And it's been really interesting to see that someone somewhere is clearly telling gradu some graduates at least to, to start logging that way, because some of the stuff that's been brought to interview has been really impressive and really comprehensive. And it lets me just be really confident in those people mm -hmm. in knowing that I can send them out to certain surveys. And, you know, we would always go out with people to start with, but that, you know, relatively quickly, I feel like that person would be okay to go out on their own. Great, thank you, Tilly. Now I'm I'm very conscious of our time we have left um, going forward now, so we, we could just uh, maybe never spend another five to ten minutes. And I'm just going to put the question to you all, uh, so you can have a think about this. Um, but it's it's uh, you know we, we obviously we discussed a lot you know, how, how you've obtained your licenses and you know the the I suppose in one way what I've picked up here is also the differences or inconsistencies both with the personal administration in terms of the way you record your details um, for different species, but also um, differences and inconsistencies, and this is no fault of anyone's, this is just, just my observation, uh, of actually 
becoming a referee as well. So, I mean, there's no qualification required to sign someone off. So it is a question of, okay, well, I know that person. I'm going to sign them off. I don't really know if they've done that much work. Down to actually the full detail. Well, I'm only going to sign you off if you can prove to me, demonstrate to me X, Y, Z. You know, there's, I think there's a whole range of things there. So my question to you all is about action going forward. So if you were able to, what would you, what would you like to see change either for yourself, for maybe one of your colleagues or people entering into our own industry or the industry as a whole? You know, whether that be, um, as I say, um, something they need to be aware of and maybe action or maybe something that um, maybe one of the licensing bodies needs to have a, have a uh, reconsider. So a question again to you, what would you like to see change either for yourself, your colleagues, those new entering into the um, profession or into our industry? So um, I'm just going to go through, um, a couple of people raise their hands. So I'm going to go through those two people first and then I'll go around to everyone else. So I'll start with Josh. Yeah, so I think we kind of already touched on it before, but the main thing really is is Natural England's system. Like it needs it needs streamlining um but they need to bring back in the the species specialists and stuff like that to, to help streamline the process because i think a lot of it has just turned into an administration tick box um really so ideally for everyone i think the, the best the best thing that could happen is that they they just reinvent that whether or not they need to bring in some some kind of some renowned people from within the species field um, like people have already mentioned some some specialists of bats and things like that um, and kind of get their input um, or even just people that they know have held a license for a certain amount of time maybe people that have been named on on mitigation licenses and stuff to to be able to to help um, assess people for their their abilities on these licenses um, rather than just kind of relying on Oh, if you use these buzzwords in your in your application and and do this, you can get your license, whether or not you're you're ready to do that, in and and can actually try and mitigate harm. Like when you're doing a, a roost assessment and there's bats present, um, you can make sure that you're you're safe to do so, um, and and kind of experienced enough to to manage that um, that kind of responsibility. So that that would be my my biggest point would just be the actual application process itself needs needs to be rethought basically it sounds like scotland and and wales have, have got it pretty pretty sorted um so i'm very jealous of that but um yeah i think i think that's the that's my biggest my biggest wish is that natural England just sort themselves out, really? Sort themselves out. If we yeah. <laughs> I think we could just end it there. No, no, no. There's yeah, there's yeah. there's a the problem, everyone. Yeah. You're welcome. There's other uh, areas too. But uh, okay, uh, I don't know if Tilly, did you have your hand up, or was it? Um, yeah. Yeah. So I I would agree with what Josh has said. Um, and one thing I'd like them to start focusing on is. Uh, is competence and competence I think comes from an awful lot more than what you've done with that specific species and it comes as your from your abilities in the round and there is a huge difference between say an application coming from you know someone like me who's got 20 years experience as an ecologist and is chartered by CIEM and someone who's sort of two years into their job I would say because 
you know, you've just got a wealth of other experience that backs up your decision making and that proves your ability to make sort of sensible decisions in these slightly critical situations. And I think it's a real shame that Natural England have sort of diluted it all down and distilled it all down to be about, you know, whether you've done these specific things for the, with this one specific species, when actually there's an awful lot more to, to a lot of this survey work than just that one species. And if they were looking more at competence as a whole, I think that it would be a lot more, it would be a more sensible system. Yeah, I, 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 I'm not going to defend Natural England at all, but I can see that um, when we talk about competency, we talk about competency as in, obviously, for our profession, whereas, obviously, Natural England, if we're going from a licensing point of view, if you, if you, can, if you can ensure that you are minimi minimising disturbance and so forth, I can see that, you know, why should they be the gatekeepers to competency, whereas our maybe our professional standards where it should be brought into in, into play in that area. So I'm not trying to defend Natural England, but I can see that um, it's a quite a, you know, are they to judge competency? I imagine it's at a certain level to get your license, but maybe not to raise standards as such. I think that's, that's you know, uh, you know I, I think obviously clearly it should be, you know, raised standards, but I, I think it may be Natural England and other licensing bodies have a slightly different criteria. So uh, um, going, um, Sue, I think you were, you were next in your, uh, with the hand raised. I was just uh, thinking about the training side of things. When I first started, the um, Bat Roost visitor training was a formalised training. Natural England ran the training and um, had licensed trainers that would sign you off. And it was almost like a sausage factory, but it was great, you know, it was good because everyone got a standard um, training and then they had to have a certain amount of experience before they were signed off by a trainer. And I think that that could come back really uh, so that people know exactly what they need to do. Everybody's doing the same thing. It's, it's a bit like with the Dormouse license and having this logbook where you've actually got to tick off all these things that you've done. Um, but if you could go to a training provider and actually know that you could get the right training and then you get a certain type of experience as well, because um, obviously the experience bit takes the time, I think that would help as well if they could accredit training or do it in-house even and help people to get trained up. Accredited training, right here. Yeah. yeah, yeah, got that. Okay, thank you. Um, Grace? Sort of continuing on with the um, the consistency thing theme, really, um, I'm not how I'm not sure how um, realistic this request is or this this idea, this wish. Um, but I would really like some consistency between all the different licensing bodies than the statutory nature conservation organisations, just because um, I'm predominantly licensed within RW. But um, at the time that I applied for my GCN license, I thought, well, I may as well apply. Uh, for both Natural England and NRW, and I regret not doing that um, for bat licensing, um, just because uh, we don't, as humans, we don't see the borders as anything, um, you know, we don't have any physical borders, why should the bats, um, or, you know, whatever whatever other thing that we, you're looking to license, um, especially in terms of application for each license, um, I would imagine that if I was living more close to the border, I would find it incredibly frustrating that I couldn't work just the other side of the border, just because I don't have a specific license, yet I am experienced enough to hold a license in Wales. Um, so I think 
depending on um, you know the state of natural England at the time. Um, I I think Josh and many other people have said that they need to sort themselves out. Mm, um, yeah. And just a little bit of sticking up for Natural Resources Wales. Not that anyone seems to have too much of a problem. Same for Natural England as well, although I don't deal with them. They're so underfunded. They're so overworked. If we're all busy, I dread to think what the statutory agencies are suffering at the moment as well. It's, it's just be kind. They are trying. We're lucky in Wales. We still have our species officers and specialists, and you can get hold of them. Um, but I know how busy they are. There's a handful that cover most of South Wales. And that's where I think 75%, 80% of development takes place. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's my thoughts anyway. <laughs> no, no, there's, there's some really good points there. Thank, thank you, Ash. Yeah, and I particularly like the uh, fact that, uh, you know, yeah, about uh, a training syllabus and accreditation or um, a recognition yeah, of, a of that. Standard, standard pro yeah. programme for the whole of Wales, the UK, standardized and not relying on people's opinions and how they got on with somebody mm, thank you uh emma uh, is again sitting patiently there for uh, but uh the, yeah so your thoughts what, what sort of action would you like to see um in terms of uh, uh yeah so i would like to see instead of the two references i'd like to see one one reference as standard and then another means for the second which might be Going back to the old system with accredited courses, which gives you one of your referees or an assessment with someone who has their own site, their own survey site, someone that, who does the National Dormouse Monitoring Programme or something. You spend a day with them, half the day on theory, legislation, all that background knowledge stuff, and then a day out in the field. And, you know, if that, that system seem, seems to work, I think it can be off-putting and stressful and demoralizing to have those two references and lots of people don't have time to volunteer for for whatever reason and you know sometimes we work all week <laughs> we don't necessarily want to be up on sunday morning at dawn doing another back survey and you know that that is you know it's really nice to volunteer we all love our work you know that's really clear but sometimes i think that you know there should be time within a work week um to, to be able to pursue these stuff, especially if work are, um, it, if the survey license is part of the work you're doing. Um, I, I think, you know, we've all said we've got uh, our licenses from some form of volunteering, um, which is, you know, a little bit sad in some ways. So I would change that two reference system to one and another thing. Great, thank you, Emma. Um I just wanted to thank you all for your time, your generous time here this afternoon. Um, I, I've written down quite a lot of points here that you've, you've made. There's also been some chat uh, there, which I shall also include within the comments of part of this podcast itself. Um, but uh, I just would like to say thank, yeah, thank you to you all. Wish you all the best for the service, oncoming service, uh, uh, survey season in 2022. So uh, but, yeah, thank you all, and I shall look forward to seeing you all at an event soon. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for inviting us. Okay, bye now. Bye. If you enjoy our show and want to help, then please click on the subscribe button and rate us on your favourite podcast player, as that's how you can inspire ecologists in the making, help retain great talent, and provide insights of our industry to a much wider audience of why ecology really does matter. Thank you. And remember, learning is a lifelong endeavour. So stay curious, 
be adventurous and build bridges for others to cross. 